All right. Hello, Real Talk listeners. Welcome back to our podcast. We are here with Michelle Elder, my business partner. Thanks so much for joining again, Michelle. And if this podcast doesn't motivate you to think differently and change your mindset, rework how you are as an individual, not only in work, but in your day to day, I think you need to rewind and start over in this series, in this episode, whatever the case may be, because we have a super powerful, motivating speaker with us today. Carl Austin, welcome. Tell us about yourself, Carl. Well, I am a beautiful, sexy, attractive, 35-year-old black male. Sorry, ladies, I'm married and I'm gay. But um, I am in the airline industry, so I know a lot about uh, the conservative aspect of businesses and how they can be a little bit hindering towards people of color. So luckily, I am trying to be move myself into a position within the company to where I can create more inclusion. So hopefully we can maybe touch some bases on that too. Yeah. And so I'm excited about this podcast, Carl and Michelle, because, you know, there's so many things we're going to touch on. Um, We have a lot going on. And, you know, obviously, if you're listening to this now in real time, it's 2021. If you're listening to us years from now, hey, we're just going to remind you about some things that happen. There's a lot of chaos that's happening. We thought we were going to wake up on January 1st and things would be absolutely fine. And then six days in, the Capitol building gets attacked by our own. I have a drinking game alert for this, okay? Because it's going to get heated in here. Every time we say Capitol, take a sip of your drink. (laughs) Done. You know, like seriously, because, you know, I'm sure that's going to come up like four million times. The Capitol. That's one drink. Take a drink. Right. Take a drink. Maria, did you get a wine? (laughs) She There is a lot going on from a diversity, equity, inclusion in the workplace, as well as in your personal life. And we have a dear Abby or dear, dear Real Talk segment going on that we want to hone in on and really leverage as part of our platform for today. So without further ado, Carl, we have a listener that wrote into us, Dear Real Talk, I lead an affinity group for my company. We've tried to push initiatives like training and inclusivity and getting people educated and having diversified thought conversations and haven't gotten very far within our organization. The C-suite leadership is predominantly, if not actually, no, let me correct myself. The C-suite team leadership is all white, mostly males with only one white female. And we are looking to make impact and change the culture of thought and diversity, equity, and inclusion. And we want to not only start with the C-suite, but we want to start with also all of leadership team because there isn't very much diversity in any leaders within our organization, especially here in the United States. But with how can we as employees make a change within our organization that doesn't have a mindset? And where do we start? And how do we move this needle forward with challenging conversations with our peers? Mm, That is a challenging question. So I am fortunate enough and I'm lucky enough to also be a unionized employee. So I have a union that I'm also able to fall back on who does believe in inclusivity, who does believe in 
minorities having a voice and having power. So luckily, I, I do have that to kind of stand back on when I talk about people of color or the minorities moving into positions of leadership or power, right? So for example, as we speak, I'm actually interviewing right now for a, another position within my organization, which would put me in the training department, which also would put me in a leadership type of role within the company. And I had interviewed for this position before, which is quite interesting because one of the questions they had asked me is, why do I want to interview? Why do I want this position within the company? And I said, well, because I want to be a role model and I want to be a leader to those that look like me and to those let them know that I that if with hard work and dedication, you can get into a position such as this. And they they followed up with that question. And they said, Carl, well, do you feel that we need more of this within our organization? And I was like, I paused for a moment. I was like, oh, shit, how do I answer this? Right. How do I not like blow this interview completely? Right. <laughs> <Thanks>. <laughs> Because mind you, in this interview room, I, it was me getting short fire questions from five different managers. One beautiful, blonde-haired, white, blue-eyed woman. One middle-aged, white male. One that looks like there's probably a little bit of diversity within him, but probably would identify more of himself as a white culture. A blonde-haired, heavy-set blonde lady and a black woman. These are the five managers that interviewed me. So as I'm thinking about how I'm going to answer this question, I sat back and I said, hmm, to myself, how do I not blow this interview? And then I said aloud to them, I said, well, how do I word this? And I said, they said, just say it. And I said, well, I think that all organizations need more inclusion. Studies have shown that when you have more people that look like them, they tend to stay in their positions longer hence lowering your abortion rating. And they sat back and they thought and they said, hmm. But ultimately, at the first time around, I didn't get the position. Who got the position? A blonde-haired, 5'11", beautiful white woman. Now, this was back in May. Was it due to COVID cuts? I don't know. Did she interview better than me? I don't know. All I do know is that several weeks later, both the managers in that department the beautiful, blonde-haired, blue-eyed, tall, lovely, beautiful lady, and her counterpart, who is of Asian persuasion, did email me and text me and it stated that they recommend that I reapply for the position. And my response was, well, no, it was a lot of work. I don't know. I already did it once. And, you know, whatever. And then they said, Carl, I strongly encourage you to, to reapply for this position. And I said, hmm. Was I the second best runner-up or did they regret not hiring me for this position or was it strictly budget cuts and they just, they couldn't afford to have a person commuting into their workplace and paying for hotel rooms and all this kind of, who knows? But all I know is I, I did interview well at that time and I did make a little bit of a difference. Now, what I do within our organization in regards to trying to be more inclusive or try to let minorities' voices heard. It was quite interesting, too, because I was talking with a regional manager. So at my level, we have my level, and then we have supervisors. And right above our supervisors, we have regional managers. And so I was talking with the regional manager, who unfortunately is no longer with us at this moment in time. She got let go due to her union beliefs and things like that, which is a whole nother story. But... um. 
I was talking with her and I had asked her because all of the supervisors in my base are of Asian descent. And I said, why are, why do all of them look the same? And she said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, they're all Asian. I said, but our, our work group in our area, in our base, we are made up of whites, Asians, blacks, Hispanics. I said, so why are they all the same? I don't understand. She said, huh, I never looked at it that way. And I said, well, I do. And several other people I'm sure probably do too. And it's nothing against them, but I would feel more comfortable going to somebody that might have the same type of struggles that I have or can identify with some of the adversities that we face in the workplace. And she said, huh, well, there's really nothing I can do. And I said, there's nothing I really want you to do about it, but just pay attention, you know, just understand that these are real concerns by real people that work for you. Was she uncomfortable when she had that question like posed to her from you or was she equipped? Because I know this is something Michelle and I have spoken about, right? Where when a question's posed to someone and they're not prepared for it or they're uncomfortable about the topic, it's almost like a lot of what Emmanuel says, right? In uncomfortable conversations with a with a black man, right? I think it's it's interesting to see the reaction and how they were actually truly respond and if it's truly genuine or they're trying to understand. To be honest with you, what I got from her was she had a little bit of, she was genuine to a point, I believe, but she was also very safe with her answer. Um, I think she was very politically safe with her answer. I think that she, she knew the right things to say in order to say enough without saying enough, if that makes sense. It does make sense. How do we push past that uncomfort or that discomfort to have more authentic conversations. How do we get there? Well, this is my thing, right? Is I don't understand why a business, any business, any corporate business, let's just put it this way. Every corporate business has their culture, right? And they have their way that they want things done. They want your way. They want their way in the way they want you to behave. And they want their way in the way that you represent their company. But I ask, I question people, and I say, well, who really decides what that culture is? Who really decides how we interact with each other within that culture? Why is it okay for Susie Joe to say, hello, sir, but um, Jerome Scott can't say, what up, though? Why is that not professional in the business world? Who decides that? You know, for example, in, in my job, Black males aren't allowed to have, have dreadlocks. Well, who, who decides that? Was it the white man that's sitting at the top with their $100,000 job or whatever it is? They decided that it's not okay for black males to have dreadlocks in in the position. Well, why not? If they're nice and clean and well-kept, I don't think it's any different than a white person who doesn't wash their hair and it comes out greasy and and it's all straight on their face. What's the difference? I think to your point, I think no one has actually had that conversation. I think businesses have skated by. You know, one of the things that always, you you started talking to this and it's something that always confuses me about corporate America as well because, you know, there's all their quotas and the measurements and the money that they want to make. And it always, it just shocks me that anyone anywhere would think it's a good idea when you have diverse customers to not have diverse decision makers. When you have diverse employees at those bottom layers, to not have diverse decision makers. Like it just shocks me that businesses don't naturally think that way. It's all about power. 
and and I and I bring this back to the Black Lives Matters movements, right? So it's it's about white privilege understating that they need to give up a little bit of power in order for minorities to start to succeed. And that's scary for white privilege to understand that. And it's scary for them to come to realization that that's, that's a real thing that could happen. We're going to lose our businesses. The, the minorities can't manage these businesses like we do. We're going to lose tens of thousands of dollars from investors and blah, blah, blah. You know, that's how they think. And it's a real sad situation because I, I, I'm just as capable. I, you know, I obviously have to go through some training and things like that in order to become a CEO of a company, you know, but I could do it just like the next guy. What makes me, what makes me any different than that guy? Because a lot of people, especially in the airline industry, that get in these top executive positions, they don't have a college degree. They just jump from airline to airline to airline to airline to airline. They're just pulled from one airline to go to another airline to go to another airline to go to another airline. They just share. They, they're in this inner circle of people, you know. The food industry is that way, too. Exactly. And many of them started out as dishwashers or cooks or, and they just kind of see C-suite jump from restaurant to restaurant. Exactly. And it's funny because I come from that field too. So I've seen that. <laughs> yeah. But then you have these hard, let's talk about the restaurant industry. That's a, that's a great example. But then you have these hardworking cooks that are in the back who are making $17 an hour, who show up every single day, who never complain, who put out beautiful dishes of food and never get an opportunity to get offered a management position because of the color of their skin or maybe because they have an accent. Why is that okay? That's not acceptable. Like I'm, I, in the airline industry, I mean, we have a union. So, and we fought for union unionization a long time ago because airlines took great advantage of, of people in my position and not people of color, but just people in my position, period. And, but my position is primarily made up of 90% women, which is also interesting, right? So they've had to unionize in order for people to listen and not take advantage of them any longer. Talk about their weight, talk about the way they're supposed to look, not having children not telling them that they can't be married, that they have to be signaled, that there are age limits. So at 35 years old, at one point, you have to retire from my career. That's a really sad thing. You can only be a, a, in my, my position from 21 to 35. Well, what if, you, what if you decide you want to have a family at 21? And at 35, you're too old, you aged out, or you're, you're taller than 5'7", so you're too tall, or you're a size four, not a size two, so you're too big. So that's, that's a big reason why we unionized was so women were protected. But now that it's becoming so much more diverse and now men are becoming part of the, the workforce again and things like that, that's interesting. But even our union is very political. <laughs> yes. And, that, and, and that's a whole other situation too because the leader of our union is a beautiful white blonde hair, white um, blonde hair, blue eyed woman as well. So do they really know how to fight the good fight? I don't know. But the leader of my union, I don't know if you've seen her on CNN and all these news talks or all these news stations over the last few months in regards to the PSB extension and all that stuff. But her name is Sarah Nelson. And she, she, she does, she fights a good fight, but, I, but is she fighting for all of us? Or is she fighting for a position for herself to get into? I mean, I don't know. You know, it's interesting. It's as a white American, we've got to be on board to help gain traction, but we also don't have the experience needed to push the movement. So how do we find that place in the middle? Because the reality is, as long as white people have power, they're going to, like you said, it's about the power. They're going to keep the power. So you've got to have 
white people have to be on board for the change, but we're not the ones that we don't have the experience to talk through how to change. For example, we spoke to um, an amazing culture coach, Nikki Lerner, and she said something at the very end. And I really feel like I've led a pretty diverse life. And she said something at the end and totally smacked me down. And, and I suddenly realized even more white privilege than I knew I had. You know, I'm already willing to admit that I've had a lot of great doors open for me, a lot of incredible opportunities. And it's because I have a stereotypical white American name. I show up in my polished suit, dress like the rest of the white folks, and it works for me, right? But she said something and suddenly I realized I'm not even equipped to have that conversation in a way that pushes other people forward. So how do we, do you understand what I'm asking? Yeah, well, it's interesting before I I let Carl kind of, but Michelle and I were having this conversation last week when the after cap- the Capitol incident, after the Capitol oh, break, 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 drinks around, Maria. I like to call the Capitol instance. Oh, drink again. Oh, sorry. I like to call that a coup <laughs> uh, or an insurgent or you know, let's just call it what it really was. It was a mob. It wasn't a protest because it totally was a coup. It totally was a failed. It was an attempt failed, to uh, remove a legally elected failed, official coup. Yep. <laughs> So Michelle and I had this conversation last week, and one of the things I mentioned to her personally, and I'm interested to hear what you, how you have to respond to this, Carl, but we won't get anywhere if there aren't white Americans there to help also drive the message because some individuals that are very close-minded may actually listen to peers of the same culture. And I can only have so much movement with someone, but when they see someone maybe that's similar to them having a diversified thought from them, maybe they're more apt to sit there and have a conversation with someone. However, how does Michelle begin to have that conversation and try to move and make momentum with uh, individuals and have a educated, well-educated argument, whether, you know, it's workforce in your personal life, when she's not personally equipped with the right tools to have that discussion. Okay. Well, this is what I, okay. So let's just, let's decipher two things, right? Because you have your personal life where you feel more free to say whatever the hell you want to say, because it's the way that you feel, right? And then you have your personal life. Right. You have your professional life where you feel that you need to be a little bit more reserved because you also don't want to break any HR policies when you say things, right? So you want to be careful. So I asked though, okay, let's just talk that word. Let's just let's just put ourselves in the way of personal, right? Let's take the workplace out of this. I know the, the main question was about diversity in the workplace, but let's just cause because it can kind of dribble into the workplace, right? So if we get the foundations in our personal lives, we can bring that into the workplace. Like Michelle, for example, you say the tools necessary in order to have these conversations, right? Well, I, I challenge and I, and I question you, what are the tools that you would be looking for in order to have those conversations? I don't know. So here's, so for me specifically, you know, it's funny you say in, in your professional life, you should hear the non-podcast conversations, the podcast conversations 
are pretty direct. The non-podcast conversations, I'm probably at an extreme place. I believe what I told Maria last week was if people can't just get the fuck on board, they need to go start their own country on another piece of land somewhere else in the world. (laughs) Go the fuck away if you can't treat human beings right. (laughs) You're not wrong. But I feel like if I come, well, I know if I come at people with that conversation, I'm going to shut people down. Immediately. Immediately. So for me particularly, there are two instances that occurred in my life that really helped to make me more aware and help to prove my white privilege. And the white privilege, I have a very dear friend who was so let me stop story. you just for the listeners real quickly. I just want the listeners to understand though that white privilege isn't a negative connotation. And I, and I hope that people not. understand that because it's interesting because when I, me as a black male, when I say you have white privilege, other people are like, oh, that's racist. And number one, black people can't be racist against white people. But number two, white privilege is something that every black person dreams to have, right? It's envious, as a matter of fact. The best way I can explain it is when it's just something you're born with, right? It's 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 almost like you have blue eyes. Okay, like why would you get offended by that? Someone's dying to have the color of your eyes, like right. Well, white privilege, white privilege is defined as and I, I'm going to put this out there, and please look this up and write back to us and let us know if I'm wrong or if you have a difference of opinion. But I'm, I'm going to tell you factuals, right? So white privilege is defined as you being born with more opportunity than someone else of a different minority, right? So it's just innately born with having more opportunity, meaning you're not going to walk through a store and get followed, meaning you're not going to get pulled over from looking suspicious, meaning that you're, you, have, you have precedence over getting a better paying job than a minority person does. Even maybe the same position, you might get paid more money. You know, those are those, that's what white privilege is. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that was exactly, you I mean, you almost nailed it exactly. I was talking to her about a situation where she was driving down the street with her smaller children, let's say um, early preteen years, and a white man, I'm from the South, so I'm going to go, ahead, you know what, you guys can be mad at me if you want to, some redneck, some white redneck <laughs> pulled up next to them and he started screaming go back to your own country. She is Korean ethnicity. They were all, however, born in America. She is in her damn country. Anyway, so when I was talking to her, I basically said something like... um, So hold on. So you were saying this white man, because she was not of white descent, this wasn't her country. Even though this isn't his country either. He's got a job. She paid, like, yeah, we're all, we all immigrated here. Hello. Except for smaller um, people. We stole this land from whom? The natives. Right. And we put them in concentration camps that they still basically live in. So the white She slapped me. She slapped me with privilege away quickly because she has this one child who um, he's been doing martial arts his whole life. He could probably kick anybody's butt on the planet. He might even go against Bruce Lee. And I was like, I cannot believe Kyle didn't get out and kick that man's ass. And I said, you should have cussed him out. And she said, do you know what would happen to my son if he had done that? And what would happen to him would have been dramatically different than how that redneck reacted to me. 
if I had yelled at him, right? And that's that piece of privilege. And I never thought about it that way. I just thought, why is someone that I care about, my friend, why is she allowing other people to talk to her that way? Like, why not get in their face? And that was the moment that she said, we're the minority. I can't get in his face. If Kyle did go after him, that man was going to hit Kyle back, right? Where he probably would not have hit me. But most of us don't get to have that experience where we go, oh, I didn't realize what I was saying. I didn't realize what that meant from your perspective. So how do we get people to... So, I mean, there's you can't force someone to understand what they're not able to understand, right? So some people just aren't able to understand. And when I start to have conversations with people about race and, and minorities and divisions and, and the opportunities that people have versus the opportunities that people don't have and the lifestyle that some people have versus the lifestyle that other people have and the environments that people have versus, you know, we have these conversations with people where they start to say, well, but, but, or they're like, or they, or they make an excuse for something, then you really, then you're, you're hitting a brick wall with that person. And that's when I stop engaging my time with that person, right? So, for example, I had a, I had a buddy, or I have a buddy, like, he's still my friend, I, you know, but he, his political views and things are very, very different than mine. You know, we were talking about immigration, and I, and I was talking about how important immigration is for the foundation of this country. And I had just experienced this whole immigration um, practices with my, my, my husband of now. Um, just, I mean, we recently just finished up this entire immigration process with him. And I said to him, I, well, my, he, well, the, the comment that he said to me is that he said, well, we need to make sure that we don't have any more illegals coming in here and blah, 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 and all this stuff. Right. I said, well, I agree to you to a point that people should come here legally. But I said, how much do you think my husband spent on his immigration to come here to the United States over the last five years that he's been applying for immigration? And he said, well, I don't know. And I said, well, he paid about 10,000 US dollars. We paid about 10,000 US dollars for him to be here. And he said, okay, well, and I said, okay, well, cool. Let's put it in perspective then. I said, let's just say you're Mexican, right? And you have the Mexican cartel who's in your village that's ransacking your village every, every month for money. And if they don't get it, they're going to rape your mother. They're going to rape your daughter, your sister, or steal you and take you into to, to work for them. Because that's what happens. So I said, these people are running away from things that are dangerous for them, that could kill them. And I said, so I said, how much money in pesos is $10,000 US dollars equivalent? So he goes on his phone, he does his little trickery, right? Said about 200,000 pesos. I said, what average Mexican person has 200,000 pesos? Well, okay. So what if they, they go, they come over here and they send their money back home, was his next argument. I said, okay, well, let's think about that. I said, what is the big deal with that? I said, isn't it their money that they earned? He said, well, they're not spending it here, that. I said, what do you mean they're not spending it here? I said, they have to buy food, right? They have to buy clothing. They have to pay for housing. They have to pay for water, electricity. I said, that all stimulates our economy. They're buying cars. How do you think they get to and from work? They have to buy a car, right? Therefore, they have to buy gas. Therefore, they have to take it in to get fixed. Or they had to buy parts to fix it themselves. So I mean, they're still they're still helping the American economy. So what do you what do you mean here? Well, I just don't agree with that. 
I said, well, okay, perfect. Well, if you don't agree with it, that's great. But then maybe you should go back to where your native roots are then, right? Because if you don't agree with immigration, then you shouldn't be here. I said, at least your people chose to come over here. I said, my people are taken from their land to come over here and do your dirty work. We are, our identities were taken from us. You know, we don't know. Not, a lot of us don't even know what countries we're from. If it wasn't for these new internet sites that came up like 23 ancestry.com or whatever it is, a lot of us wouldn't know that we're Nigerian or we're South African or wherever we're from, you know, and then we wouldn't even be able to date back to what our, what our native language, our, our, our names are. So, you know, it's just those types of conversations that you have to understand, like you're going to hit those brick walls and it's time to move on to the next person or because they're not going to change their minds. She is a person that grew up in Michigan, who's never traveled outside of Michigan, who's never lived outside of Michigan, also doesn't have any money. I mean, like when I mean no money, I mean like, like probably a day away from disaster of being homeless. You know what I mean? But is a, a, a thinks Trump is the greatest president because he's brought America together. And I said to him, I said, well, I said, prove your facts. And that's the biggest thing is like, when you say something powerful like that, you have to be able to have your facts behind it. But back to the question of the day is how do we do this in the workplace, right? Because it's a lot more challenging in the workplace. Well, I think you get the same conversations and her, the, the last part of her message was not only how do we try to stimulate com- this conversation and movement within our, our leadership team and our workforce, but how do we have those difficult conversations with peers? And I'll tell you, during several instances throughout 2020 that have come up, Brianna Taylor, um, you know, uh, George Floyd, this most recent capital situation, (laughs) Um, your peers are having these conversations, they're reaching out. You still have to have like the conversation you had, Carl, a close, maybe a closed minded conversation with a peer at work that may stimulate at a water cooler talk or whatnot. Right. So I actually have this peer that I work with and she's a very interesting lady. To her, I'd probably be an extreme left, right? And she, to me, would be like overboard right. Not even extreme, like just like overboard, like like those non-mask rallies, like just like like completely assigned crazy. But we're able to talk in a mature fashion, right? So even though I just don't agree with what she says or what she believes and things like that, we have a very mature conversation in regards to things, right? At least this happens on Facebook, right? When we're because I as I've actually asked to speak with her via FaceTime and she actually declined. And I was like, Well, why? Why do you decline to talk to me? She says, Well, she says a lot of the people that we work with don't believe in don't believe my views and I don't want to lose my job. And I said, Well, number one, I don't have that power for you to lose your job. And I said, even if I did, I wouldn't have you, I wouldn't have you, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have you fired because of your views and your opinions. I said, this is just me reaching out so I can understand more about you and understand what your opinions are and what, how you see things. Cause maybe I, maybe I see things completely blindly. Maybe you can, you can help me open my eyes to some things that I'm, that I'm being ignorant towards. I know what's right for me, right? I have my own feelings and I have my own morals that were instilled in me. So when things that I see that are wrong or that, that I feel are wrong, those, those are personal to me, right? Just like for her, 
she was raised differently, right? She was raised in a different environment. She sees things differently than what I see that. So when she feels things are wrong or they bother her, it's completely different than what would bother me. I look at her and I'm like, what do you mean that bothers you? That the CDC is recommending us wear masks. Well, that's tyranny. They're telling us what to do. And, and people believe that. And people honestly, truly believe that. And I can't be mad at her for believing what she believes. I just have to try to understand it. If I don't understand it, then I just have to respect it. And that's the one thing that I think a lot of people don't understand, personal or in work, that you just have to respect each other. And we have a great working relationship, even though she's very, very extreme right. And I'm probably pretty extreme left. But we respect each other. Because you know what? What other choice do I have? I'm not going to go and blow her house up. I'm not going to burn her hair. I'm not going to beat her up. You know what I mean? I'm not going to lynch her because of her beliefs. That's what makes humans humans. And that's what makes America great is that we can believe whatever the hell we want to believe. And we can talk about these talks. But the thing that Americans have forgotten over the last, over 2020 is respect. We have to respect each other. You are still a human being and you deserve to be heard. And I should still be able to sit down and have dinner with you and have drinks and have cocktails and laugh, even though we don't have the same political feelings or whatever it might be. I still respect you because you are a human. And that's the biggest thing that a lot of people have forgotten. We need to be, we need to get back to being kind to one another. Everyone thinks like the 1950s and 60s were very cheesy and everyone was like, oh, we know our neighbor. It was a very cheesy time. I think that we, we need to go back to those times and start learning some of those moral values that were installed in some of the, I would say, the white privilege during those times, but also the black culture had the same thing. You would go into a neighborhood and everyone knew each other. There'd be cookouts and barbecues and all that, you know. What happened to those days? It turned into social media. It is so safe to yell at someone in social behind the safety of a screen. Yeah, but you know, the thing, the problem is though, people now, like you and I, all three of us, we've all lived before social media. We've all lived before internet, essentially. We didn't have cell phones, Maria, until what? We were 16, 17 years old. I mean, we've lived before. We couldn't even text on our cell phones. It was strictly from phone call and plain snake. But I mean, that's what I remember, at least. But um, people yell on Facebook and they yell on Instagram and this, that, and the other. But then now they're going out on the streets and yelling and doing the same thing. They think that their internet world is the same as their real world. And I understand that when things start to get heated in the internet world, is you got to take a step back. And then you need to call that person or you need to go to that person's house and say, hey, look, can we just sit down and talk? Because things don't transcribe over the internet like they do when you're interacting with someone in person. And that's the other thing people don't understand. We have to stop all this, all this hatred and all this disgusting, vile, t- like, I, I just, it's just really sad how people have treated each other in 2020 with, I, I know that tensions are high because the government told us to stay at home and they, you know, there's conspiracy theories that they put this disease out here for us all catch for population control and this and the other. It is what it is, people. It is what it is. And the only thing you can do is you're only in control of your reactions. You can't control your emotions. You can't control the things that happen around you. We can't help. We can't even control whether or not we have a paycheck tomorrow or not because the, the job market is so uncertain. But all you can control is your reactions to these situations at this moment. And everyone looks like a fucking fool right now. They look like idiots. I'm sorry. Everyone in America looks like idiots. Whether you're right or left or in between, you look like an idiot. Stop blaming other people and take some responsibility for yourself. 
Well, everything's been very divisive, right? Even when the George Floyd situation came about, you saw a lot of companies taking a stance, a lot staying silent. And silence is a stance for all you listeners listening. It is. And that's what we, you know, we've encouraged. But there's a lot of divisiveness within peers, within, you know, within companies, organizations, leaders, right? Where if you took a stance on the George Floyd situation, you are now anti-Blue Lives Matter. Which, what the fuck is Blue Lives Matter? What is that? Or All Lives Matter. What, what the fuck is All Lives Matter? What is that? <laughs> is, are, are you trying to take away the power of my Black Lives Matter? Because you know what? Black Lives Matter is inclusive. It does mean all lives matter. It is for police lives, too. Unfortunately, people don't understand that. The Black Lives Matters movement is because we've had 400 plus years of oppression. And, and, and we've had 400 plus years of just senseless murders and deaths by the hands of power. And that power right now is represented through the police. But it's about the power. It's not about police. It's not about white. It's about the power. It's about the misuse and mistrust of power. Look at medical professionals, for example, right? This vaccine just came out. Where do black people or color people, people of color stand on this? Oh, we're not taking that. No, 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 no. Well, do we know why? Does anyone actually really know why or try to understand why black people or people of color have are apprehensive of taking this, this vaccine versus any other vaccine that's been out there? Because in the 1950s, 40s, and 60s, we were used as guinea pigs, as test animals. Literally, they would shoot people in the arm with this crap. And if their arm fell off, oh, well, okay, on to the next, let's test another one. And those stigmas just don't go away. That hurt just doesn't just disappear. It's taught through generation after generation. It just doesn't go away. It doesn't. And everybody is out there speaking in absolutes instead of just trying to understand each other. Well, it, it, it's funny because people speak in absolute. And that's one thing I was talking about my, my friend that I was telling you about earlier is that the things that he says are facts, right? Everything he says is a fact, fact, fact. And I'm like, well, show me. Like he's convinced that we're going to have a social war or a, social, a, a civil war. And I'm like, that's preposterous. <laughs> I'm like, the, the, our military is way too powerful now for that to ever happen, right? And I was like, I was like, but where's your facts on this? Well, it's my opinion. Well, Okay, well, how did you formulate your opinion on this? What gave you any inkling that there would be a civil war in our country? Because there's rhetoric of it on the media that gives you inkling that there's going to be a civil war? Crazy. I said, stop listening to your one little news source and formulating your opinions. I said, if you really want to be an informed American, you can't listen to just CNN or Fox News, which I love CNN. I watch CNN all the time. I love it. I love it. Don Lennon. Oh, my God. I love him. I would marry him. He's gay. He's beautiful. He's handsome. Yes. <laughs> but anyways, let me get off my little... You know, one thing I appreciate about you, Carl, is you do take the time to understand the other perspectives viewpoint and get educated. And one thing that I spoke with Carl about last week after the Capitol incident... Cheers. Cheers. He actually sat and watched other news networks to not only understand the perspectives of what was being viewed. But the funny thing is, Maria, I didn't get any, it's though. true. <laughs> Do you remember that? <laughs> so I did. I sat and I, I listened. So it happened Wednesday, right? The Capitol incident. And that... Cheers, cheers. Cheers. So I watched CNN pretty much primarily on, uh, the, the day after. But then I turned on Fox News. 
because I wanted to see what their perspective was on things, right? Because obviously they're they're a very right wing conservative channel. Turn it out, I watched it for about forty five to an hour, and I'm, I'm just I was just getting angry. And you know, when you get angry when you're watching TV, you just kind of have to turn it off because it would it would it was like ruining my relationship with my husband because he would talk to me like, "What? You know, get what? Leave me alone!" Like. <laughs> <laughs> I was getting angry, right? So I'm watching CNN. I'm flipping back and forth. I'm, I'm like, CNN, they're covering, you know, the Capitol incident. Drinks can be gone after this episode. Literally. I was watching that incident. They were talking about the possible impeachment of the president. They were talking about, at that time, they were talking about the sanctioning of the president as well. They were talking about invoking the 25th Amendment or having president or uh, Vice President uh, Pierce do that. They were talking then also about COVID, I think. That's about it. No, they were talking about one other like important thing that was like pertinent to like that day, right? Because it was the day after, you know, the coup had happened, which everyone was curious what was going on. So I flipped to Fox News and Fox News was covering COVID-19. And let me tell you what they were covering on COVID-19. Because COVID-19 is important, right? We all we all do care about these these whatever these numbers are that are, you know, these infection rates are, you know, half a million people dead or whatever, I, whatever we want to believe, right? We only can believe what they're telling us at the moment. But anyways, so they were talking about how, it is, how the vaccine has not been distributed fairly and that the vaccine is being tossed away because of the Democrats. Because the Democrats have sole power on how the vaccine is, is distributed and how many people it gets in, in arms before it's tossed away. That was what they were talking about the day after the insertion. I looked at my husband and I said, Gene, this is making me very angry. And he said, well, why, babe? I said, this news source doesn't even have the audacity to talk about people's deaths. Because at that time, we had four deaths. Didn't even have the audacity to cover the lives of American people who were lost over this failed attempt to coup. I said, that's disgusting. If that does not admit guilt, I don't know what does. And you know what? My in my sister's home, Fox News doesn't turn up. Fox News doesn't turn off. They're constantly watching that shit. And I and they and they, these people, they believe it. They believe it. I can't. It's interesting. It's interesting. But I will say it's it, it's good that you actually did that, Carl. Right? Because you actually sit down and have a conversation. And Michelle, this goes back to your question, which I know we're circling finally back on. But I think it all starts with having conversations and asking why, right? And like seeing different perspectives. And you're passionate. And yeah, you may not be equipped with the tools, right? But I think understanding different perspectives and trying to understand. I think going back to what Carl mentioned, when someone's really passionate, you probably have to like press pause. (laughs) I think it's important to continue having those dialogues with one another. And Michelle, I don't think you don't have the tools. I just think that you need to maybe learn different ways on how to insert yourself in the conversation, right? Not tell people to move out of the country. Move away. Well, I mean, say that in a joking manner, but really mean it. You know what I mean? Like, right? That's I'm really good at that. <laughs> the whole fuck you really on your face is like fuck you, right? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I mean, like you don't have to live here. Exactly. 
Yeah. So it's interesting, Michelle, you know, Carl mentions it's not that you need the right tools. And I think that's where we go back to our listener who wrote into us. I don't think everyone needs to have tools to be successful. I think I think it's just important to begin dialogue and to have those uncomfortable conversations and ask questions and understand why a different perspective and try to be cool, calm and collect about it. Yeah. In the, in the workplace, you know, it, the thing is, so I guess I would need to know more information from your from your writer. And I hope that she or he writes in again, because I w- I'd be interested to know, are they unionized? I'd be interested to know if this group has actually had meetings with their management. I'd be interested to know if they've not had meetings with their management. Have they requested to have meetings with management? They've declined them or 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 what's with that? I just I feel like they they're on a good start having conversations within their actual maybe group. But you if you really want to make change, you have to be a catalyst for it, right? So I was ballsy enough to in my in my interview to at least tell them that I want to make change. I am very boisterous with my company and saying that there's not enough people in leadership that look like me, you know, and that's, that's not great. You expect companies to just fire everybody at the top and. Absolutely not. But I expect them to give the fair shake to people who are qualified for the position as well. You know, I don't, I don't, I'm tired of them recycling the same people from different airlines or different, you know, different, different companies within the same industry. And they, they do this in a lot of industries, you know, like look at the 500 companies. You know, it's interesting, Maria. I have the same answer as Carl. My answer is yes to a degree. Maybe not fire who's there, but I actually worked for an organization where after a diversity, equity, and inclusion session with the C-suite, we were told that the um, succession plan is defined for two generations. And, oh, yeah, there's one woman in that group. And we're like, no, it's time to tear that shit apart. What are you doing to allow everyone the opportunity to apply for those positions versus grandfathering people into it? So I think there there is a lot of that. There's a lot, happens a lot in the restaurant industry where people are promoted, no positions are ever posted. It's just like, bam, you're a senior, bam, you're a director. And then all of a sudden everybody's like, wait, I didn't know there was a, position open and it is as simple as requiring every position be posted internally for anyone to apply for before it's posted externally. Sure. And it should be. So I think there are changes that people can do. Also, just FYI, for those of you who have defined succession plans, succession plans aren't guaranteed people because the culture changes, the industries change, business changes. You can't tell someone, you can't guarantee someone seven years from now, you're going to be the best fit for this job. So succession plans about grooming people. It is not about guaranteeing people. Well, and look at my industry, the airline industry. I mean, we had the most successful year in airline history in 2019, right? My airline in particular, where we were planning on expanding to, I don't know. I, I think we were going to do like 300 more networks this year and or 2020, and we we're going to open up four new bases and hire about uh, 2,000 more uh, people in my positions. And you know, like it, it was, we we're supposed to rapidly expand, and their business plan changed. <laughs> so I mean, when their business plan changes, 
that affects everyone below, you know, mm-hmm. goes from direct all the way down. We were on, we're on a hiring freeze. I mean, we've been on a hiring freeze for almost a year. I should have seniority in my business is everything. And I should have, you know, roughly 2,000 people below me, two to 3,000 people below me now. And I only have 1,000 people because we were on a hiring freeze. <laughs> I'm still at the same level I was a year ago in regards to the quality of life and scheduling that I, that I receive. But we all need to be thankful that we have these companies that are willing to still employ us because although we have all these laws and regulations and all these things in, in place in regards to, you know, your rights and, and, and your employment rights and things like that, it doesn't mean they can't find a way if they wanted to. Yeah. Very interesting. So um, we are at time, but Carl, please join us back again to speak with our listeners. I know our whole series and segments really talking about diversity of thought and, um, you know, diversity and equity and inclusion all over in the organization and how we begin having difficult conversations and uncomfortable conversations with one another. So stay tuned for more, everyone. Take care. Bye. Bye, guys. Bye.